Hi, everybody. I'm Michaela, your host of the Picked Podcast. I started this podcast as a way to share advice for people on business and societal topics. I'm a wedding florist. I have a degree in public relations and I work in HR. So I kind of have a wide range of interests, which gives us a variety of topics and guests on this podcast. You might have noticed our last few interviews have been over the phone. Um, I'm really trying to stay COVID safe with our guests, and I encourage you to be mindful as you connect with loved ones over the upcoming holidays. I'm really excited for our guest this week. She is a finance manager for the company I work for, and we've been friends for a number of years. We kind of were riding out that part-time life while we finished school together, and then now we're both there full-time. So it's kind of fun to see how we've grown and um, just what we've been able to learn and accomplish over the years. But I'm really impressed by her financial skills and advice and just I think it's so unique that she's a woman in finance that you don't see that very often and so um, I'm really excited to have her on. In the episode, we actually cover quite a bit about negotiating salaries, being a woman in the workplace, budgeting, how to navigate combining income and finances with someone when you get married as well as building wealth and empowering yourself through being smart with your finances. So like I said, I'm just really excited for you guys to listen and we're going to have Rachel tell you a little bit about herself. Yeah, so I'm originally from a really small town in Minnesota. It's a, it's a, a farming town and I came out to Utah to go to school um, and plan on studying nursing. Okay. Um, I kind of grew up with the idea that um, the only women I, I really saw around me growing up were in the education or healthcare field. And so that was, you know, kind of unintentionally what I thought were my choices coming out to school. Yeah. And so I decided I wanted to study nursing, um, did a year of classes to prepare for the nursing program and just really wasn't enjoying myself. And I didn't love the classes I was in and the things that <laughs> that I was learning weren't very exciting to me. Right. And at the time, um, I had started dating what is now, who is now my husband. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> who is now my husband. Um, and he encouraged me to attend this women in business event. And what got me to go actually was him telling me that they were giving away like a bunch of free things, like a backpack and some like, uh, like makeup products and like giveaway type stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm really not interested, you know, like business is your field. And to be totally honest, I thought people that went into business did it because they couldn't make it in science and like in the healthcare field. Nice. So I was like, oh, that's just like a fallback. And so I went and I heard this incredible female speaker speak at the event. And that was the first time I really saw a woman who like, you know, had this type of career in business who, you know, had had a family, had had a career, and was doing really incredible things. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I want to be like her one day. Right. And that was kind of what introed me into business. That's super cool. So tell me a little bit about what that like switch was like, and kind of what you found out with attending finance classes. Was there a lot of women around you? What did that look like a little bit? Yeah, so lucky for me, um, my husband was a couple years ahead of me in school. And so when I told him that I was interested in, you know, potentially pursuing a degree in business and more specifically in finance, he was able to connect me with some really incredible women that were a couple years ahead of me. And I was able to like chat with them and kind of interview them and hear about their experiences. And that was so helpful to me. Like they spent so much time mentoring me and helping me get prepared for interviews and look over my resume and help me find internships that honestly, like, I don't think I would have been able to do everything that I've done without their influence. That's so cool. And yeah. And in my uh, finance 201 class, that's the intro to finance class. Um, I remember having this huge light bulb moment where I was learning about the topic of compound interest in a lecture and The first time I heard that topic, it blew my mind because I was like, this is it. This is like the golden key for how people save money to retire. 
and for how people like build wealth. And that just wasn't something that I'd ever understood before. It brought me back to a time when I was a senior in high school and I was having a conversation with one of my friends and he like pulled out his phone and started doing the math on his phone. And he was like, okay, you know, look, if I were to make this much money a year and I saved my entire salary, like this is how much money I would have at retirement. And like, he basically talked to me about how like it wouldn't be enough money to retire and how essentially like there was no opportunities that anyone ever has to retire basically <laughs> on the money that they made. And I was like, what the heck? Like, how is this possible? Like, you know, I know people that retire, like, but I didn't think much of it at the time. And of, then like, how to build I, wealth over your lifetime and yeah, just how to even <laughs> where to start. Yes, exactly. And so that Fin 201 class learning about compound interest, I was like, this is the key. Like, this is how people like get enough money to retire. This is how people build wealth over their lifetimes. And so just like kind of realizing that that finance teaches so many of those foundational principles that like help us in so many different aspects of our life was something that drew me to that career field. That's so awesome. So tell me a little bit about what it's like to be a woman in the finance field and how did that impact you during school and now in your career? Yeah, I love being a woman in finance. I love talking to all of my friends and especially my like female friends about different aspects of finance because 80% of the spending in homes is done by women. But <laughs> women are so much less likely to be educated in finance because it's traditionally a more male-dominated field. Right. And so even though a career in finance and personal finance are quite different, the principles are the same you know, spend less than you make, save for a rainy day, make a budget and stick to it. And there's so many, you know, little things and nuances with personal finance that aren't readily available or the knowledge is kind of confusing and it's not easily accessible. And so I've found that, you know, when I start talking to my friends, especially my, my female friends about finance, that they always have a ton of questions. And I love you know, getting the chance to, you know, share my knowledge of what I've learned and what I know with them. Yeah, I love that. And we've had our own experiences with that. I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago when we were sitting at lunch at work at one point, I just started asking you all these questions because I'm just like, I was a newlywed, you know, and I'm like, I don't, a lot of times like finance is a topic of conflict in most marriages, they say. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, what are some apps we can use or like that can help us? And how do we, you know, what is stock and what's this mean? And, and how do we yeah. save for a house? Yeah. And, and we talked about, you know, like credit scores and uh -huh. things like that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And it honestly, though, that was a very helpful conversation because it got me thinking about like mine and Jairus' future and how we could save for a home and what interest rates meant and how we needed to build our credit and just everything that kind of went into that. And I think, you know, a year and a half, we were able to like buy a home and stuff. So that was, but that conversation really did get me thinking about all of those things. So it's just, I so love cool. that. <laughs> I think it's just cool how like even simple conversations can get people thinking about their future and um, investing in their future a little bit Definitely. more. I'd love to talk more about what your thoughts are when it comes to women in the workplace, the glass ceiling, Again, that like idea of negotiating, I, I think I heard a TED talk, it was a couple years ago, of like how women often don't negotiate or push back when it comes to their compensation um, and their salaries just because they feel like they need to be more qualified to, you know, ask for more. And so I think that since listening to that, it really interested me basically. And I, I'm curious, um, yeah, what you think about that and what you think about the whole idea of like the pay gap between genders. Yeah. So I think that you definitely hit that, hit the nail on the head, Michaela, when you talk about how women often don't go for opportunities because they feel underqualified. Um, and there's, you know, there's studies that have shown that women who meet nine out of the 10 qualifications won't apply for a job because they don't meet 
10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Whereas men, if they need, you know, four or five of the 10 qualifications, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm good enough. Like, and they'll apply for the job. (laughs) And so I think the same thing happens when, um, negotiating salaries and when it comes to compensation as well. Um, like I've noticed that women tend to be a lot more passive when it comes to compensation Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, going to their boss and saying, you know, Hey, this is my performance. This is what I think I'm worth. And this is what I should be valued at. They wait for their managers who are often men (laughs) to come to them and say, and recognize the work that they've done and compensate them appropriately. When in reality, that just isn't always the case. Like managers, the first thing on their mind isn't necessarily always their employees compensation. And so oftentimes I've seen, um, you know, more often than not, it's men who come forward and ask for more compensation and receive it than women. Mm -hmm. And so I think maybe that's just an encouragement to women out there to make sure to not undervalue yourselves in your positions and kind of just, just go for it because the more, you know, being compensated correctly for your work is also a type of empowerment. And so I think, yeah, I think women should not be afraid to ask for what they think they're worth and have those conversations with their managers um, to get compensated fairly. Right. So when it comes to women who are at home and they're maybe not working, but they're still managing household budgets and finances, what tips or platforms would you recommend that they use to help with that? Yeah. So for the first few years of our marriage, my husband and I used Mint, which is free for anyone Um, It was a great platform. You can connect all of your bank accounts, all of your credit cards to it. Um, But then there were just a few shortcomings of it that we didn't really love. And so about a year ago, we switched over to uh, YNAP. It stands for You Need a Budget. Um, (laughs) And it costs about $85 a year, but it's much more robust and built out. And we felt like we were ready to take like the next step with our budgeting per se. Um, And we have loved YNAB. Um, The idea like behind that platform is that every dollar has a job. So you should always have every dollar categorized, whether it be to savings, groceries, household items, et cetera. So as soon as your paycheck comes in, it'll say like, you know, you have X dollars to budget. And then you'll move them into different categories. And so we we really like that platform. But Mint is a fantastic place to start um, if you're new to budgeting. And if you're just starting out, I would totally recommend it. Super cool. What tips do you have when it comes to, um, yeah, just managing your household budgets and finances beyond maybe a platform or an app? Yeah. So the way that my husband and I typically budget Um, is first and foremost, we decide what our savings goals are going to be for the year. Um, So just to give you kind of an idea, for 2020, our goals were to, one, max out both of our our Roth IRAs, Mm -hmm. um, and then we wanted to save an extra $2,000 into our car fund. Um, We wanted to max out the employer match for the 401k at my husband's work. And then we also wanted to save enough for a down payment. So those were like our main savings goals for the year. Um, And then we kind of work backwards from that. And we'll say like, okay, we need to save X amount each month to meet these goals. And then whatever we have left over, we will spend on. And it kind of works both ways, right? Because if you know that you spend, you know, X dollars a month, a thousand dollars a month on all of your your discretionary spending then you'll know you need at least how much money and then the rest can go to savings but um i think the most important thing to is to if you're wanting to budget is to know if you and your spouse are spenders or savers um kind of like some what we talked about before michaela (laughs) um because if you're spenders versus savers um you might want to take a little bit of a different approach, right? Where like you might want to just funnel like your savings like away right away. So you don't even see that money come through your bank account. So then you're not tempted to spend it. And then, you know, everything that hits your bank account, it's like, okay, I have this money to spend. And so there's a few different approaches to take if you're spenders versus savers. But 
that's kind of the the approach that we take. I love that. And it makes me laugh because I'm like, so your husband majored in finance as well, right? Or yeah, not? he did. So you guys, I feel like are like the, the dream team when it comes to marriage finances. But <laughs> I was kind of teasing before we started recording about how like, you know, sometimes you get married <laughs> and one person is a saver and the other is a spender. And so what about when you kind of have that dynamic? Do you you know, what tips maybe or tricks would you say could be, I like your thoughts on transferring just directly from a paycheck into your savings. So you don't even see that money. Um, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts to expand on that? <laughs> yeah, I, I do actually, because um, although my husband and I both are savers, he, uh, you know, when we first got married, he was even more frugal than I was. Okay. And so a lot of times what would happen is, um, so I was in college for the first two years of our marriage and he was working full time and making money. And so as happens in a lot of homes, um, he was making the money, but I was doing most of the spending. <laughs> and so what was, I wasn't good at like looking at our budget to see how much we had to spend. And it was because I didn't really take part in the budgeting process. Right. And so he would like put aside money for like groceries for the month, for example. But then when I went grocery shopping, I wouldn't look at the budget because I wasn't involved in the budgeting process. Yes. And so what's really <laughs> helped us, <laughs> yes, and because like it was his money, he would be the one that would categorize it. So anyways, you can see the problem here with that. And so what helped us over the years is that we started like both budgeting together and I would be like, okay, I think we need this much for groceries this month. And I started having more control over our budgeting process. Mm -hmm. And that way, when I went to spend in certain categories, I already knew like how much we had in there. And I felt more accountable to myself because I was the one who had set the budget. Right. And so if we went, oh, if I went over, I had like a little bit more, I felt more responsible in right. that case. And so- that would honestly just be my biggest advice for couples that struggle with budgeting is to do the entire process together. Like from the moment the money hits your bank account to how you budget, to what you save for, to what you're going to spend. Like if you have as much control over it as your spouse does, it will make it so much easier. I agree. And so that's, uh, <laughs> that's what's really helped us. <laughs> um, so to thoughts with that that makes me laugh because that's kind of how we are too I think also by default I'm just more visual and so and I want us to sit down and have that conversation whereas Jairus just knows and is calculated in his mind like oh we have this much this is what we can and can't spend and he knows how much to subtract each time we do spend whereas I have to like log in every time and see it <laughs> and so yes. it's just so funny because I'm like let's budget and he's like I don't really need to and then I'm like the one spending and so he gets mad and it's just so funny because I'm like well we didn't budget I have to see and I have to know what you know I have to be a part of that process um visually and part of that conversation so it makes me laugh and I think that that's great advice my other thought was wanting to ask like how often you guys do this you know do you guys sit down and budget once a month once a quarter every week every paycheck like how do you guys take that approach yeah so right now we do every paycheck so about twice a month um and then at the end of each month um we kind of do like a month review where we look and see like okay how much did we budget how much do we actually spend um and just kind of do like a, a review of the last month. And then we also look to see how much we saved, right? Because right. that's that's why you budget is so you can hit your savings goals. And so the most exciting part for me is like seeing us get closer and closer to our savings goals. Right. And so that's what I really like about like our month end like review. But yeah, we do it twice a month um, when money comes in to our bank account and then review at the month end and then see if we need to make any changes to the upcoming month that's cool I feel like that's pretty often like more so than when I hear other people talk about it but I think that that's smart because you know also like different things can come up in the month like if your car breaks down or yes. you have a doctor's appointment so it's kind of 
touching base more than once a month is probably even good just for those reasons to readjust as needed um, if something's going to look differently than what you thought at the beginning of the month. Um, Definitely. I also like that you talk about like budgeting is so that you're empowered to like hit your savings goals. I read this book called The Richest Man in Babylon and it's all about like savings principles and building wealth and stuff. And something I liked from that that the author or the little storyteller in the book says is everything, you know, a part of what you earn is yours to keep. And I think that, and they talk about how Western culture, like we just don't really, it's just kind of, we live to spend kind of that idea. And so Mm -hmm. I like how they give that advice in that book. It's just like, no, you, everything you earn, like a part of what you earn is yours to keep. Yeah, you have bills, but you should also be investing in yourself and it's rewarding to see that savings grow and stuff. Definitely. Okay, so this one's fun because you recently lived in Hawaii. And so I want to, for one, know about that experience. But two, um, tell me about finance tips for people who might be able to work remotely as COVID and whatever's going on with all of this happens. Like some people, their work is remote or their school's remote. And so if they want to go live somewhere, you know, kind of cool for a little bit. What tips would you have when it comes to saving for that or making that happen? Yeah. So my husband and I, when COVID hit, um, we both started working remote. And then about three months in when we realized this was going to be maybe a little bit more of a longer term thing than we'd originally thought, um, we had the idea that, you know, if we're working from home, why don't we work from somewhere fun and cool that we can explore and so we decided to move to Hawaii for 10 weeks um and so the way that we financed this we did a few things so first of all each year we put aside money every month so that we have three thousand dollars saved to take an annual trip wherever we want and so we put away money so that we can go on a trip in the summer And so because of COVID, we obviously didn't end up going on a trip. So Mm -hmm. we had that $3,000 that we could use to put towards um, moving to Hawaii if we chose to. Super Um, fun. Yeah, it was super fun. And then um, because we went to Hawaii while they were still doing the two-week quarantine, everything was super cheap. So we were able to get an Airbnb for like a third of the price that it was normally. And so that saved us a ton of money. Yeah, a ton of money on expenses there. Um, And then we did have to make a choice, though. You know, even though Airbnbs were cheaper than they normally would be, um, we still, you know, like, had to pay to, like, you know, go on some excursions and, like, rent a car when we needed it. And so we sort of decided, like, made this decision where anytime you're making a financial decision, there are trade-offs, right? And so we had built up a pretty decent size um, down payment fund. And we decided that since this was going to be a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, we were going to take some funds from our down payment fund to help us, like, pay to go to Hawaii. And so we did that, and we're super glad we went, and it was so fun um, while we were there. But, you know, not everyone would be willing to make that trade-off. And for some people you know, buying a house and getting in a house sooner might be more of a priority for them. And so that's just kind of a a reminder that, you know, you can do some really cool things if you're, um, you know, smart with your finances and if you plan ahead, but everything does come with a trade-off. Yeah. And so it was, yeah, it was super fun. Um, And if someone wants to go work remote, and like work remote from somewhere cool, what I would recommend doing is just planning out all of your expenses ahead of time so you know how much it's gonna cost. And then budget a little bit extra just in case you go over, you have a little bit of a buffer. But having a good idea of how much it's gonna cost ahead of time will help a ton and help you know like, okay, where's that money gonna come from? Are we gonna take it, you know, like from part of our savings? Are we gonna, you know, save up over the next few months so we can do it and it just helps you be more intentional about your spending if you plan it out ahead of time I love it too because you're talking about how it's like you guys also save for fun things like your annual trip and so you know it, it gives you something also probably to look forward to like oh we are we're saving for this fun thing it's not always just for you know 
the the longevity yes. of like a down payment or something that maybe will take longer to see you know with a yeah or retirement yeah exactly like who wants to save for retirement you know I'm just kidding everyone should but it just it's like when you have the annual trip in mind you know I think that probably helps keep you excited about seeing your savings grow um that's super cool though did you feel like so as part of your trade-offs did you guys still have to have an apartment out in Utah or were you able to you know, like, what did that look like? Like, leaving all your stuff behind and your vehicles. And, um, yeah, just for anyone who does want to be a nomad, like, what what did that kind of entail? Or how did you guys feel about the, was it worth it, I guess, in that sense? Yeah, so my brother-in-law, my husband's brother, actually moved into our apartment while we were gone. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> and so he, like, paid us rent oh, while okay. he was here. <laughs> Perfect. Which definitely helped offset, you know, some of the cost of our rent. But, yeah, that was something else we had to take into consideration is, like, okay, now we're basically paying two rents. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, an additional cost if someone wants to do this. Um, we could have you know, consider getting rid of our apartment. We just, um, our rent where we live right now is pretty cheap and we weren't sure if we'd be able to find a place that we liked as much if we, you know, gave it up. And so we decided to keep it. But for other people who might want to, you know, be a nomad or travel for (laughs) longer, that might be, you know, a smarter decision to just get rid of their apartment so that they're not paying double rent. Right. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Also, taking notes, like, find someone to sublease <laughs> or take yes. care of something, you know? And I think that's super smart. Like, whether you have a house or an apartment or whatever it is, if you can have someone kind of um, maintain your space while you're gone, if you're gone for, you know, more than a couple weeks, I think that that's really smart. Because um, then you're not sinking yourself while you're doing the fun thing. <laughs> exactly, yes. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about finance when it comes to running a business this podcast is geared towards a lot of entrepreneurs and you yourself are running finances for a business and a start on the startup scene and so I just want to hear your tips and kind of the basics when it comes to running a business and how people can be smart with in business yeah (laughs) so I'm definitely you know not an expert in this area but I, from what I've seen, I would definitely say don't be afraid to invest in yourself and your business up front, especially if you, um, if your business offering is some sort of service or some sort of thing that requires you to be skilled in a certain area, Mm -hmm. it's going to take time and money and resources to invest in yourself until you can truly offer the value that someone else is paying for. And so you're likely it's likely that you're not going to make an incredible profit right away because you'll often be spending more just to get your name out there or your product or service out in front of people. Yes. And so what I would recommend is to just to be aware of your limitations before you start and try to come up with creative and low cost ways to start finding customers. And then, um, over time, like as you put in the work and investment up front, you should see, you should be able to reap the rewards and see the return coming in later and up front. And I would say, you know, just don't be discouraged as you're, you know, especially if you're like a solopreneur and it's kind of like, you know, you're, it's just you and you're trying to run like a photography business or, you know, Michaela, your flower business. Um, You know, there's a lot of women that do type businesses like that. And so it just takes a little bit of time as you, build up your skills and build up your clientele um, to get to where you want to be. So I would say just be patient and keep investing in yourself and the rewards will come. Yeah, I think to add to that, like I often will say like all the time, you have to spend money to make money because a lot of times, you know, I find myself renting costs for an editorial or for whatever things I'm doing for marketing or a shop or whatever it might be. And you aren't going to see that return on that money until, you you know, months down the road even um, after people mm-hmm. purchase from from whatever you were putting out. And so especially if you're buying something that is like a hard product and you have to get the materials beforehand, it, you know, like I said, you have to spend money to make money in certain professions. Or if you're getting, you know, if you're doing photography, you have to buy a camera or maybe buy some classes to teach you how to use your camera like whatever it might Mm -hmm. be. Um, 
So yeah, I definitely can vouch and agree to that. I think too, finding something that you're really passionate about and that you will enjoy no matter if you're making money or not. Because when it comes down to it, if you're only doing something to make money, then and then you don't see that return right away, you're probably going to walk away from it, you know, with less money than you had and feeling kind of (laughs) frustrated because you didn't really enjoy whatever it was you were doing. But if you really are passionate about something and you're just, you know, you're willing to spend money to pursue it, then I think that the reward will come in multiple ways later on. Yes, Um, I agree. All right. So with, like I said, there's entrepreneurs listening. Our demographic is usually younger. And if there's potentially brides who are going to be newlyweds, what advice do you have for people who are planning their weddings or going to be, you know, newly married and are combining finances with someone else? Yeah, I I love this question. Um, 90% of divorcees cite that finances are the reason or one of the reasons that they got divorced. <laughs> and so finances can cause a huge, huge problems in marriages for newlyweds, for people that are engaged. Um, you, know, you get married and you find out that your spouse has a ton of debt that you didn't know about. You know, there's a lot of different spending habits than you. There's a lot of different reasons. Right. And so if you're about to get married or newly married, I would recommend that you work together with your spouse to come up with a budget that you both agree on and that you both feel like you have control over. Um, so it. this goes <laughs> back to kind of what we um, had talked about earlier, um, how like both of those things are really important because if one person doesn't agree on or doesn't feel like they have any control over the budget, they likely won't stick to it. And especially if it's the spouse that does most of the spending. Yeah. Um, and so I would just say that's really important to make your finances something that you both do together. And then also plan some fun savings goals. You know, like we have our annual like trip goal that we do every year. You know, for you, maybe it's like, you know, you love to like have super fun like date nights or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can plan for those types of things and save for those types of things so that when they come, you can truly enjoy them and not feel like, Oh, like where's this money coming from? Uh Or it's stretching us so thin, but you've prepared for it. I love that. Um, And I totally agree with it. (laughs) Yeah. It just makes all, you know, the hard work that you do budgeting and saving worth it because you get to enjoy and live a little bit, you know? Yeah. I think, too, that idea of, like, if you save ahead, then it's not this stressor when the actual fun time, the vacation comes. It's not like, where's this coming from? Especially, I would argue, too, for paying ahead, like, booking your your hotel ahead of time or an excursion ahead of time. Um, just because sometimes when you're swiping on vacation, it can feel like, oh, I'm losing my money, you know? But if it's all just mm-hmm. paid for, it really does allow, at least Jaris and I have been able to enjoy our vacations a lot more when we're not, like pulling out our cards, you know, every time we have yes. to purchase something. <laughs> yes, that's so true. Um, let's also cover a little bit about um, saving and planning for the holidays because the holidays are right around the corner. What do you, how do you guys approach that? What do you think about that? Yeah, so for any annual expenses that come up for us, we typically put away money every month So that way, when a holiday comes around or a birthday comes around, um, we have money to spend. And so, for example, I think we put away like it's something like $12.50 a month for like birthdays. And so that way, like, you know, when our birthdays come around, we have money already budgeted for gifts or if we you know, want to do like a nice dinner or something like that. And it just makes it so much more manageable and so much more doable when you think like, oh, I'm just saving, you know, $12 a month, or I'm just putting away $20 a month towards this goal. And then in the end, you have like a lot of money that you can work with and use for those things. And then like you said, it's so much less stressful to have to like, think like, oh gosh, like, you know, it's going to be a super spendy month. Like, we, you know, it's Christmas, it's birthdays, it's, you know, vacation time, but you already have planned for that money. And so it's saved away and you can spend it and not feel guilty because you've prepared ahead of time. And so 
for any annual expenses, that's what we found that works so well is just to plan how much we want to spend for Christmas or for a birthday. And then we just divide it by 12 and put away that much money each month into like a holiday fund or like a birthday fund. I love it. I think that that's great advice and a situation that maybe isn't the best. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's why I like, I love saving for things, right? Because then when opportunities come, you can kind of seize the moment, right? And Uh it doesn't feel like you're stretching yourself really thin or you're having to like go into debt to do these fun things, but you've kind of already been preparing for them. Yeah, I like that, that idea of seize the moment. That's cute. Let's talk about building wealth for your future. And so how do you, how would you say people should invest in their future now? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I would say that I have two main tips. So first tip number one is start as early as you can. Um, because the truth is time is money. And so the earlier that you start investing your money, the more money that you'll make 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Mm -hmm. So kind of like, I like to look at this like example. So let's say someone plans to retire at age 60. So if they invest $1,000 when they're 20 years old and you assume an average 8% return, that $1,000 turns into over $21,000 by the time they're 60. That's awesome. And that's purely by just investing your money and letting it sit for as long as you possibly can. And now if that person, instead of starting when they're 20, waits until they're 30, that $1,000 will turn into $10,000. And if they wait till they're 40, that $1,000 will only turn into about (laughs) $4,600. Big drop off. (laughs) Yeah, it is a big drop off. And so my, yeah, my number one tip is as soon as you can and are able to, start investing um, because your money will work for you. Um, Um, With that, I have a quick question. Just when you say invest, do you mean in the stock market or do you mean in like a certain type of savings account or, you know, where do people invest that thousand dollars in their 20s? Yes, that's a great question. So earlier in your life, um, it's typically recommended that you invest in more risky investments, which are stocks. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as you get older, you'll start transitioning your investments from stocks to bonds. But Mm -hmm. that happens, you know, much later in your life. And so what my husband and I do um, is we just invest in index funds that Mm -hmm. are a compilation of, you know, like 500 to to 1000 of you know, the biggest businesses. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty good reflection of, um, you know, the stock market overall. So we don't get, especially with our retirement funds, we don't get super, um, I guess, like super risky with like trying to pick stocks and, you know, pick companies that we think are going to give us these like outstanding returns. Um, We like to play it a little bit more safe uh, by just investing in index funds that have portions of a bunch of different companies so your risk is diversified a little bit more awesome that's a great answer and very like helpful so thank you would you recommend hiring financial planners to help you um, manage your index investments do you have apps that you would recommend for that um so for the average american i would actually recommend not hiring a financial planner um and that's because financial planners get paid off of your fund returns. And so they essentially skim a portion off of your returns each year to pay them, Mm -hmm. to pay themselves. And so there's been a lot of studies that have shown that um, by having a financial planner invest your money, it doesn't actually do you any better in the long run than if you had just invested it yourself. And oftentimes, um, it actually ends up being worse because <laughs> they, because of the fees that you end up paying financial planners. So in, in my unprofessional <laughs> um, opinion, um, unless you come into like a large sum of money in your lifetime for whatever reason, um, investing on your own um, is probably the best way to do it. 
in my unprofessional opinion. Um, <laughs> disclaimer, I'm not a certified financial planner. <laughs> I'm allowed to give that advice. Um, but some really, really good apps to get started um, are Betterment and Wealthfront. Um, we used Wealthfront for a while. It lets you invest up to $10,000 with no fees. Um, and then with our like Roth IRAs and our company 401k, we use Vanguard. So there's like Vanguard, Fidelity, and Charles Schwab are the big three like investment firms. And so um, you can just connect them up to your bank account and you can invest in different um, like index funds. So just to give you a little bit more detail for anyone that's curious, um, like my husband and I, for our retirement savings, we invest in a like Vanguard target retirement 2060 fund. And so what this fund, it, what it is, is it's an index fund, like I said, where right. it takes pieces of a bunch of different companies. Um, and then over the years, as it gets closer to 2060, it will reallocate for us, um, moving from, you know, all stocks to a mix of stocks and bonds. And then eventually as you get closer to 2060, it'll be mostly bonds. And so there, you know, index funds that you know you can choose from and on any of those platforms that are very low fees or no fees right I think after this everyone's going to be hitting me up like how do I hire Rachel to just help me know (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm always happy to answer questions (laughs) no because really this is stuff like I said people aren't really learning outside of um you know, if they do hire someone or if they go just really educate themselves, but most people aren't going to do that. And so they're missing out on a lot of this information that can really help them. And when you're talking about 2060, I'm like, ew, that's so far away. But it's like, well, (laughs) at some point it'll come. And are you going to be poor or are you going to have wealth when that time comes? So (laughs) I know. Yeah. So second, um, there's this concept called dollar cost averaging. Um, And it basically says, don't try to time the market when it comes to investing and just invest steadily over time. Okay. Um, so when COVID hit, just kind of as an example, when COVID hit um, and the U.S. markets took a downturn, I had a few friends ask me like what stocks to buy and like tell me that they've been saving money for the next time the stock market had a downturn mm-hmm. because they had friends that invested the last time the stock market took a downturn, like in 2012, and they made a ton of money from it. Right. And my response to them is that study after study has shown that people who invest steadily and consistently over time generate the same level of returns as people who try to time the market and only invest when it's low. Right. And the reason of this ties back to my number one is that time is money. And so people who hoard their cash to only put it in when the market's down are missing out on months and months and maybe even years of returns in the market had they just put their money in when they had it. And so it's just much easier and it's less stressful and it's just as effective to invest, you know, a few hundred dollars every single month or, you know, every couple of weeks when you get your paycheck and not even you know, give regard to what the market's doing and just invest steadily and consistently over time and the returns will come. That's a good concept and a good, good advice. Cause like you said, a lot of your friends came to you when the market was low. So like, Oh, now's a good time. I can afford it maybe, or, you know, this is my opportunity, but this advice yeah. goes a little bit against that, that green. Of- uh huh. Exactly. And just a little bit of like a warning for people who, you know, are trying to get a little bit more educated about finance too, is like anyone that tells you that they can predict what the markets are going to do is lying to you. So don't (laughs) ever fall for that because no one actually knows what's going to happen in the future. And so, you know, people who tell you that they like always pick the perfect stocks when the market is at the all-time low and then they make a ton of money, likely there's some caveat to their story that they're not telling you. So honestly, time is money and steadily and consistently over time is the most surefire way to to get good returns. (laughs) Love that advice. I would love to hear more about 
At what point do you think a couple or individual should start investing in their future? And what if they're poor college students? You know, there's a lot of people that are kind of in that demographic that listen to the podcast. And so, or even I would argue people that maybe have had setbacks financially because of COVID. So what if they don't feel like they're in a position to start this yet? How can they invest in their future? Yeah, so I think one of, before investing, the first and foremost thing that everyone should do is get out of debt. So if you have student loans, if you have credit card debt, the best thing that you can do to invest in your future is pay down that debt as quickly as you can. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at it this way, let's say you have student loans that are at a 6% interest rate, but you say like, no, I want to invest my money like in the market now, and then I'll just pay off my student loans, like make the minimum payments every month until they're paid off. What ends up happening is that if you invest your money at an 8% return, but your student loans are generating 6% interest, then you're really only getting an effective 2% return on that money that you've invested, which is, you know, barely keeping up with inflation. Yeah. And so it would be much better to just channel your financial resources into paying off your debt until you're debt free because not only is it you know a better financial decision but it also comes with such a peace of mind knowing that you don't have to make these debt payments every month right and then you have so much more freedom with what you can do with your money and so the other thing is you know if you're a college student and you don't have any you know student loans or any debt you have a path to not start um, investing or preparing for your future yet because you know you want to make sure that you can get out of school and be in a stable financial situation where you have an emergency fund and you know you have some cash on hand before you start investing because mm-hmm. you know what what isn't good to have happen is where like you invest too much of your money in the market and then you have to pull out if there's an emergency or you have to take your money out if something happens to you because typically bad things happen when like there are larger economic things happening like COVID. And so then the markets are down anyways. And then like, if you haven't had your money in for very long and the markets are down and you have to pull your money out, you've likely lost money. Right. And so I know that's kind of a long-winded answer to what you're asking, Michaela. But it's good. (laughs) It's a good one. Yeah. It's more important to pay pay down your debt and have an emergency fund. And then once you've done those two things, then is a, a good time, in my opinion, to start investing. I love that. And that's, I think that's a doable answer and it's not overwhelming, right? Like it's just focus on this piece of it and- the time will come, like you said, where you have that peace of mind and and it's no longer a priority to make your student loan payment or, you know, whatever it might be. Because, um, yeah, you don't want to have to pull out of the market early and be <laughs> kind of crying about the amounts that you lost or whatnot due to an emergency and not having a savings fund. Yes, exactly. Thanks so much for giving and sharing all this knowledge and advice with us. I think it's going to be really helpful and timely with the holidays around the corner and the new year. Like people are making, you know, New Year's goals and it's just a good time to talk about finances so they can be thinking about it. Before we end, I just want to ask our last question. If you could pick one piece of advice when it comes to finances, financial planning, whatever it might be, what would that be? what would that advice be that you can share with people? Yeah, I would say that so many people feel like they have no control over their finances and they have no control over like, you know, what's being spent and their savings. And they, there's just so many things to know and do that they just don't even know where to start. And I would just say, you know, as my two cents that you are the one that has control over your money and your money does not control you. And so just pick a a place to start, you know, and work on something until you're, you're good at that. And then you can move on to the next area and the next area and go on learning and educating yourself because it's a lot. And, you know, there's not a lot of transparency about personal finance and there's a reason for that because, you know, credit card companies and, debt collectors like make money off of our lack of control, like our lack of 
understanding and control over our finances. And so kind of just like that little advice and piece of reminder is like, you can have that control over your finances um, and your money doesn't have to control your life. And so, you know, even if it just starts with something like starting with a budget or, you know, learning about using a budgeting app or an investing app and going like slow and steady, that's the best way, (laughs) best way to go. Yeah. I love that. I think that's the best advice I've ever heard about finances. (laughs) Really though, like I think it's really good advice. And personal finance can be really fun as you're crushing your goals and getting to do some really exciting things because you, you know, are empowered with this knowledge. And so, yeah, I just, you know, encourage everyone to, you know, empower themselves with knowledge where they can and from different sources about their own their own finances. I love that. Well, thanks for being a resource and a mentor on this. I think people are going to love this episode and I really appreciate you for coming on. Where can people follow you or keep up with you if you are sharing financial tips? Yeah. So you're welcome to follow me um, on Instagram. My Instagram is Rach Ludwig. Um, If you just reach out to me via like a private message or a DM, I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have about personal finance or things that you're wondering, um, I'm always happy to chat. I love talking about this topic. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rachel. You're so awesome for being on and for sharing all this. And we're proud of you. (laughs) There's not a lot of women in finance, so keep killing it. (laughs) Thanks, Michaela. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Picked Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to share with your friends. If you want to follow along with us on Instagram, it's at Michaela Riley. And if you're feeling really nice, leave a rating and review on the podcast app.